this episode, Once Upon a Blue Devil, the 16-page preview. Welcome to the Once Upon a Geek Podcast, a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. On today's episode, we are finding our joy as we begin our coverage of one of my all-time favorite characters and comic book series, specifically Blue Devil. Today, we'll be covering the first appearance of Blue Devil in the 16-page preview from Fury of Firestorm number 24, published back in 1984. Folks, my name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I am not going to do this alone. In fact, this episode, I am joined by an old friend. Uh, This is someone who I've been aware of for 15 years now. Initially, we got to know each other through comments on each other's blogs, and shockingly, (laughs) against all odds, that somehow grew into the most unlikely of friendships. Uh, This man is also legendary for his lengthy written comments on podcasts, which some folks might even call manifestos. That's a cue for some of you at home. You know what's coming next. Folks, please help me welcome to the show our own personal weirdness magnet, Mr. Diablo Frank. Frank, I'm so excited we're here, man. Look, it's right there in the name. Diablo Frank, Blue Devil. This is where I'm meant to be, clearly. <laughs> and, and we're finding our joy, but we're also rummaging through our junk drawer. <laughs> and Uncle Jesse is coming around to tell us about that one time we did that one show eight years ago. Let's talk about that. <laughs> So yeah, that is exactly what we're doing, folks. We are representing an old episode that we recorded uh, back in January 2015. Specifically, it was Firewater Podcast number 113. So yeah, this is going to be a rerun. But if you never heard it, you know, it's new to you, as they say, right, on NBC or whatever. And we're getting older. It's kind of new to us because of the dementia. So one way or the other, uh, you're going to just take what we got and like it. Yeah, I mean, the fact is, it was eight years ago. If you did listen to it, you don't remember what the hell we said back then, so it's new to you still anyway. I was on the episode, and I remember half of what we were talking about. So, yeah. Fire and Water is at like 250 or something now, right? Yeah, but we stopped making episodes, so it'd be a lot further along than that. Yeah, it's, it's right. eight, eight years is the real key there. So halfway through the actual run, so and we're doing like the, the reunion episode. This is like Return to Gilligan Island kind of stuff we're doing right now. So we're a lot older, we're a lot paunchier, we're doing to do our best arcana to recapture the magic. We're not going to manage it. Sorry. Enjoy the, the uh, archival material instead. <laughs> no, it's, it's like a late 1980s TV show where they get towards the end of the season or they're out of money, so they do a clip show. That's what this is. <laughs> yeah, but you ran out of money four years ago. <laughs> And speaking of running out of money, sorry, I know I haven't been sending the uh, the check-in for my Patreon, but the next time I catch you at a convention, I'll throw a couple of crumpled bills at you like the deadbeat dad I am of supporters of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You are absolutely the deadbeat dad of the network and our Patreon, so thank you for that. <laughs> hey, I, I send you a birthday card every now and again with a couple of bills in it. You know, <laughs> It's not like there's a lack of love. There's just a lack of you know regular routine concern that you would expect from a, a patron. The sad part is... That- that is exactly what you did with a card full of cash. But anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> folks, the whole idea behind hey, I've, I've sent you worse through the mail. So I am your s- blessings. You weren't physically injured by the, the card. So you're ahead of the game already. I am still talking. Don't you know how this works? <laughs> 
So, hey, the, you want a natural? You got natural, baby. For the third time, I'm going to try and say this. So Frank and I, we did this episode, right, eight years ago, talking about the preview. And we always meant to come back to it and cover more Blue Devil. I mean, we were absolutely going to do that, but projects just kept getting in the way. But when I launched Once Upon a Geek, I made it my mission to say, all right, we are going to cover the original Blue Devil 31-issue series here on Once Upon a Geek. You know, this is the series written by Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn. And so what we're going to be doing is, yes, we're going to cover the whole series, but we're not going to do it all in one run. It's not like this isn't going to become the Blue Devil podcast. We're just going to do it sporadically. Like we're doing this episode now. We're probably going to do a few more uh, in the near future. So you might hear two or three episodes about Blue Devil this year and then a few more next year and a few more next year. So at some point we will, you know, finish it in a random sort of way. We'll get through all of the issues. So I just love that, you know, you're telling me you're going to do start this podcast. You're like, oh, one of the Blue Devils is, is one of our favorite orders. We're going to do this. 14 episodes in, we finally do it. <laughs> and it's a clip show from eight years earlier that we're going to do a wrap round on. You know? <laughs> We're cleaning out the garage. Look what I found. An episode of the Firewater Podcast. When now they listen, you how to work a microphone. Awesome. Let's talk about that for 15 to 30 minutes. Speaking of clip shows, uh, thank you for that perfect segue. Because in this old audio you're going to hear that we did in 2015, I reference an even older interview I did in 2009. So I did an interview back in then in 2009 with the writers of Blue Devil, Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn. And I'm actually, I guess we're doing more clip shows, I am going to edit that audio down and release it very soon as an episode of Once Upon a Geek. So you guys are going to get to hear that interview with Dan and Gary. Because, man, regardless of the fact that Frank and I crack and jokes, those guys, Dan and Gary, are awesome. They are so cool. They shared so many great uh, stories about Blue Devil. And yeah, the interview's 14 years old, but it's all still fantastic. Then we're talking about comics from 84, so how current do you really expect us to be at this point, right? <laughs> Uh, true. And, and I apologize in advance because, again, the audio is 14 years old. It was the very first audio I ever recorded for, for that sort of format. Like, ever. It's never been released as a podcast. It only ever lived on my blog. So uh, the audio is not going to be great, but it's going to be an awesome discussion with those guys. And, and thanks so much for going into such detail about something you're going to do on another episode of the podcast. Well, I want to encourage – I mean, people are suffering through you enough as it is. So I want to <laughs> encourage them to come back knowing, hey, in the future, it won't always be Frank. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to say – having re-listened to that old audio, you definitely make sure your Once Upon a Geek branding was standing tall. <laughs> you, it gets plugged over and over again. You guys aren't going to forget. It's going to get stuck in your brain. Well, it, yeah, because back then I was doing the Once Upon a Geek blog, uh, and I loved it, and I had a lot of Blue Devil content out there. And so what I'll do is, actually, in the show notes for this episode, I'm going to put a bunch of links in there to old content on that blog where you can see like the original pitch proposal for Blue Devil. You can see some a, a lot of different Blue Devil stuff. I'll put links in the show notes so you'll have them handy here. You don't go having to dig through a 14-year-old blog to find something. So there is one more thing I wanted to mention, which is uh, way back in 2015 and 16, some of our friends did launch a podcast all about Blue Devil. Um, sadly, it, it only lasted a few episodes as one of the co-hosts, uh, he very unexpectedly passed away. However, uh, out there on the internet, you can still find those four episodes. Uh, the podcast is called Shout of the Devil, features uh, Justin Barlow and David Sopko. So yeah, it was very sad uh, that 
that their podcast got interrupted with a, such a such a tragic incident. Uh, and David, we miss you. But folks, just want to make sure to give those guys credit for launching that show. So uh, yeah, that was a rough year for podcasters. Uh, David Sopko, and then not too long after that, Sean Ingalls from just one of the guys. Yeah, which again, like, none of us saw coming. And a lot of times when we do these podcasts, we, it feels like like we're just being jerks, right? It's like oh, you know, it's a podcast. Oh, I have a podcast. Oh, who cares, right? And you know who cares? Uh, the people who love you. And knowing that I've recorded so many hours of these shows with friends of mine, knowing that we're not always going to be here, knowing that I can go back and listen to people that I love because of talking about stuff that I love, even if it's stupid comic book stuff. Well, we we love this stuff. That's why we're doing these podcasts. That's why we listen to these podcasts. So when you think that this stuff isn't meaningful, you never know who it's really going to be meaningful to. And uh, it's good to remember that. It's good to remember that this is a, this is our community. This is our friendship. Sometimes we get to go out and hang out with each other and person sometimes it's just a parasocial thing where you're hearing somebody that you like uh, that you don't even interact with you might even you may not leave a comment you may not leave you know a feedback or anything like that you may just listen and be comforted by our voices and and enjoy hearing us talk about something that we all love that's kind of the whole point of this right the whole point of life really is that community and that communion and uh, it just reminds you that yeah maybe this is a goof maybe this is just some little fan thing we do but even if it's only on that small level it is meaningful and uh, that's that's what we love about this community so I'm, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be a part of that and and I wish that all these guys we've lost were also still a part of that but uh, this is worthwhile it reminds me of why this is worthwhile what we do that was incredible that was moving and beautiful and folks, what you just heard right there, that was the real Frank. So all of those people who pulled me aside and said, dude, why are you friends with him? What you just heard, that was the real Frank. And that's why I love this guy. And I'm excited to do this with you, buddy. And um, couldn't. And go- also that was the real shag because in the midst of the comment, that backhand just come right across my chest. <laughs> All these people that hate you and I'm defending you constantly. And this is the part that they don't think is <laughs> This is the actual oh. part of you that has any value. That other guy, ugh, nobody likes that guy. Ugh, I don't even like that guy. I just pretend. On that note, let's chill for the sponsors. What do you say? Oh, yes. Good transition there. <laughs> Well, folks, uh, this episode of Once Upon a Geek is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for comic book trades, hardcovers, and all their collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode, we select a comic book edition to briefly discuss from the InStockTrades library. It's tied into discussion in some way, shape, or form. I picked New Gods Book 1 Bloodlines Trade Paperback. No, Frank, it's not that Bloodlines. This is the New Gods ongoing series. It came out, started in 1989, came out after Cosmic Odyssey. We're talking the one that's written by Mark Evanier and drawn by ah, Paris Collins. See, see, there's the connection. And it's a lot of fun. It collects the first 14 issues. I hadn't read this series till just a few years ago, and I was shocked at how much fun this was. Especially if you if you like New Gods, they try to do some different stuff. I really, really dug it. So it's full color. It's a soft cover. It's normally $34.99, but you're getting 11 or 14 comic books there, right? But you can get it for 42% off, so it's only $20.29. And it's Paris Collins' goodness, so that is an awesome win right there. Now, Frank, this is the part where I ask the guest if they brought an InStock Trades pick. Normally, they don't let me down. I fully expect you will be a disappointment, as usual, as my friend. What do you got? Hey, Shag, you know, you know who's celebrating his 30th anniversary this year? What's that? I'll give you a hint. I just brought it back a podcast about it after five years in hiatus. Uh, is it Bloodlines? 30th anniversary this year. Yeah, baby. <laughs> So I, I realized, oh, crud, I'm going to have to keep making these things now because I've got to acknowledge the 30th anniversary. However, I don't have to do that today. I, I, I've got, a, I've got a, a pick. I wouldn't let you down. 
So what I'm going to recommend is Showcase Presents Blue Devil Volume 1. One of the most fondly remembered superhero comics of the 1980s, Blue Devil stars movie stuntman Dan Cassidy, who became trapped in a devil-like action suit when a real demon appeared on his movie set. As Blue Devil, Cassidy alternated between battling evil and trying to find a way out of the superpowered suit. Collects Blue Devil number 1 through 18 and the Fury of Firestorm number 24. 456 black and white pages, list price $19.99. You can have it at a modest discount of $17.28 from walmart.com as of january 2016 you surely have that on yourself right i, I was gonna say like you know a, a couple of seconds into this i'm like where is he going with this this book was announced in 20 whatever and was never published but you're saying it's still advertised on walmart.com you can still see it that's where i got the synopsis from is walmart.com that is out of insane stock. well of course it's out of stock they never published it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is such a disappointment too because it would have made a perfect perfect showcase okay ah. Uh. So, okay, so obviously I have to have a second choice. Here's You're going to have to go through an alternate route, okay? So there's an outfit called Heroes Rebound Studios, and they've got a Blue Devil custom-bound hardcover. And I, I've seen a lot of these fake omnibuses where they basically just take uh, back issues and they bind them up together. And they're cool, you know, especially if you don't have an alternative. Like a lot of people have those ROM ones because nobody ever thought ROM was going to get an omnibus. Right, or Micronauts. <laughs> right, and, and they're cool because they've got like the ROM logo and everything and like silver and stuff, but you really want cover art, right? And one of the things that's cool is Rebound guys is they actually will scan comic art and they'll make it pop and they'll give it a nice glossy cover. So for $199.99, you can get this bound hardcover of, of back issues uh, with all custom-made orders. Please allow 12 to 16 weeks for delivery as these are made to order. Stylistic, bold, and cartoony art, which matched well with the lighthearted superhero fare that was indicative of the times before The Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, etc. Collects all 24 issues of this now classic and harder-to-acquire series in its entirety with creators like Lynn Ween, Swamp Thing, Paris Cullens, Blue Devil, and Ro oh, this is Blue beetle in that i was gonna so say where, where, actually, is it, where is this going because <laughs> yeah, there, there's an outfit they do this they've got a blue beetle one there's no blue devil one um so i guess what i'm trying to say is you know maybe we have to get rob in this for the full rainmaker effect i really want a blue devil omnibus you guys come on dc sure I, you guys are soaking me for all this other stuff you can do a who's who omnibus where's my blue devil omnibus you can do this make this happen please come on i need that fire and water magic even if they don't do an omnibus give us like two or three trades i mean I, i'll take any format so, and I really do want it in color anyway. So, yeah, yeah. So, do you actually have a pick from in stock trades or are you just pulling my chain left and right? I wouldn't let you down. Yes, I made sure to find at least one thing from the sponsor who gives you money more than I ever give you. <laughs> Uh, the Complete Hate Hardcover by Peter Baggy, Mature Readers, an archival collection of one of the best-selling alternative comic book series, arguably the great American grunge novel, complete for the first time. The Complete Hate is a three-volume set that includes the original 1990 through 1998 30-issue run, the nine subsequent hate annuals, and tons of other hate-related comics, illustrations, and ephemera created for books, magazines, comics, toys, and other merchandise. Baggy combined his cartoony drawing style with uncomfortably real Gen X characters, and the comic book resonated with readers. Book one, hate number one through 15, focuses on young Buddy Bradley's travails in early 1990s Seattle. Book two focuses on Buddy and his girlfriend Lisa Leavenworth's move back to Buddy's native New Jersey and a switch from black and white to full color. Book three features the final arc of Baggy's magnum opus as Buddy and Lisa become parents and buy a garbage dump. Each volume, along with a slipcase, contains new covers, end papers, title pages, and other surprises by Baggy. Three hardcovers and a slipcase totaling 938 pages. Retail price was 
was $119.99. You can have it at 30% off for $83.99 actually from in-stock trades. Wow. Now, man, that book was massively popular when I was working at the comic book shop. I was shocked at how many copies of Hate we would sell and the passion people had for that book. Wow. I'm not just a sponsor of you buying the book. I have it on my bookcase. It's absolutely worth getting. Wow. All right. It's cool. It's a really nice volume. Very thick. It's a murder weapon also. <laughs> as long as you keep it in the slipcase. I don't think you could actually crush the skull with an individual volume altogether. Boom. Yeah, you've got a murder right there. Well, I love that we're giving those kind of tips for the people at home. That's perfect. All right. So for this, and uh, I would say for at least one of Pet Frank's picks and your other comic book trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, folks, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support. Because, you know, running the Fire and Water Podcast Network with so many shows, it just requires a lot of online hosting and other services. And a while back, we realized we needed some help with the expenses. So we launched the Patreon, and you folks really stepped up to help keep the network going. So if you're enjoying shows on the network, uh, the best way to support us is by visiting patreon.com slash fwpodcast and while you're there uh, please consider supporting the network and at certain tiers you get mentioned on your favorite shows this episode we want to give a shout out to David S. Gutierrez Gord Tolton and our token deadbeat dad Diablo Frank so again please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast look I don't, I don't have a Venmo or, or any of that kind of stuff I just don't trust it um, <laughs> if you'll send me like a self-addressed stamped envelope I'll make sure to put a 20 in there and get it back to you ASAP. And he's not kidding, folks. <laughs> All right. Now, remember, people, we need to hear from you because this is a community. It's not just about Frank and I. I mean, it usually is about Frank and I. But in this Mostly case... Mostly me. Right. That, that boy, that's true. Uh, this is about celebrating all the things we love. And in this case, Blue Devil, I want to hear about your what your thoughts are on our favorite weirdness magnet, right? So the best way to be part of the conversation is to go to our comment section on the website. So that's fireandwaterpodcast.com slash onceuponageek. Leave your thoughts there on the show post for this episode. You can also find us over on Twitter as Once Upon a Geek, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Please, again, go to the go to the website, though, and leave your thoughts there in the comments section because we're going to read some of that feedback on future episodes. Normally, we read Once Upon a Geek feedback on every fifth episode. However, in the case of Blue Devil, what we're going to do is we're going to read the comments, and I'm springing this on Frank right now. He doesn't even know this. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read your comments on the Blue Devil episodes in the subsequent Blue Devil episode. Meaning, if you leave a comment on this episode over on the Fire and Water Podcast Network website, we'll read your comments on the next episode when we cover, uh, well, whenever that next episode comes out, when we cover Blue Devil number one. So see how that works? Yeah, way different than when you do everything yourself and pretend like two other guys are still in the room with you. (laughs) Way more organic than that. See, now you're going to have to help me do the feedback. That's the beauty of it. (laughs) (laughs) I I knew there was a price I was going to have to pay. It's like washing the dishes of social media. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's get into this though. So this is a 16 page preview and it comes from Fury of Firestorm number 24, which was published by DC Comics. It was cover dated June 1984. It was on the shelves March 8th, 1984. And the cover price was 75 cents, just three shiny quarters. Now, I'm going to describe the cover just briefly. I'm not going to focus on the Firestorm stuff because that's not what we're here to talk about. But there is a big Firestorm image. But around that, on the borders, they actually promote Blue Devil. So along the top, it's it, it, there's a lot of uh, explosive things going on here. Like, freeze inside a giant explosion. Blue Devil, preview, pull out. And you even get Blue 
Daredevil in his font logo. And then along the left-hand side, which takes up about, I don't know, a fifth of the cover, uh, it says, Extra! The Blue Devil hurls himself into your life in a special free... Free's really big. 16-page comic! And then it's got an arrow pointing down to this little tiny, like, uh, statted-in graphic of... what's basically the splash page of the preview. And then below that it says, An instant collector's item from the new DC! You know, I'm not sure they could have got more words on this cover. I don't know. What do you think? I will say that I have to tell you, the, the Firestorm cover, I like Kayana in general. I don't, This cover's way too busy. There's too much going on, and yet nothing actually much going on, except for a bunch of people blasting energy at various things that aren't one another where you think they would be. I, I am really glad that the tiny little blue devil fake cover is actually blue. Uh, that's that's one, of the, that been one of the easiest shots I could have taken, but no, if you're going to go monochromatic, you went blue. All right. You get, you, you get it. You win this round, DC Comics. And you know, it's not until this discussion that I've ever even considered unfolding the staples and taking the preview book out. I don't know why it's never even occurred to me, but now I'm like, mm, maybe I should. I don't know. Hmm. Get that, and you can start clipping your Marvel value stamps as well. And, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can get about that whole slabbing thing. They're not going to need to have anything to do with you. Since we're talking about the cover, I do want to mention um, there is some sort of uh, stain on my cover. There's this big smudge. Oh, wait, no, it, I'm sorry. That's not a smudge. It's Paris Cullen's signature from when I met him in 2018 at the Baltimore Comic Con. Hmm. I thought we were back to the preview pullout again, but okay, cool. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the credits here. So in the preview pullout, uh, it, it does credit. It says Blue Devil is created by the writers Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin and penciler Paris Collins. The additional credits read inker Pablo Marcos, colorist is Bob LaRose, letter is John Costanza, and the editor is Len Wein. Man, I'm not kidding when I say this comic book just makes me feel so happy. Like ridiculously comfortable and, and, and the expressions that Paris Collins does. And I mean, we're going to get into all that in just a second, but this, it just brings me joy. It, it do. I know you only feel hate and, and despair in your heart, but does this do anything for you? I was just thinking you could probably get the pullout on Etsy. I think I've seen that happen a few times before. So if you really, if you just absolutely can't stomach owning a Firestorm comic, I'm sure somebody at Etsy has pulled out this book and has the Blue Devil Zero for $75 or something. Uh, I'm not going to say I would have paid for it, but I'd at least looked at it longingly because I, I while I, we're going to talk about this later on, this is not a book that I had in my childhood, but I was aware of it. I knew the Blue Devil came from this Firestorm comic, and I knew one day I would have to have it, and now I do, and that's one less piece of my soul that's missing. <laughs> you know, you just mentioning the order of owning books just triggered a memory, which is I bought Blue Devil number one before I ever bought any Firestorm books. So I read number one before I read the preview, and given that I, I've spent so much time in my life you know, supporting Firestorm, buying Firestorm, talking about blogs and, and podcasts and stuff like that, it's sort of shocking that my love for Blue Devil came first before I even had this one. Hmm. All right. So, uh, sadly, uh, Frank has mentioned you could buy you know, the 16-page preview on Etsy, probably, but it's not available on the DC Universe Infinite app. So, you're going to have to order it off Etsy, or you're going to have to buy a copy of Firestorm number 24, or perhaps find some scans of Questionable Origin. Uh, but I, some good news is we will post some pages from this preview on my Twitter account. So, Once Upon a Geek over on Twitter, and uh, I will link to that in the show notes. You'll have a link where you can click. It'll take you straight over to Twitter to those specific posts, so you can see some of these pages. I would be careful with the Etsy too. They might have like some linen on it or something, maybe some 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 sort of fabric or some bedazzlement or something. But just consider it a, it's, a, it's almost like the Eclipse of Diamond. It gives you a little extra pop. So this is why I waited eight years to come back to this people. He, it, it's it, this is what it's like recording with Frank. It's insanity. <laughs> <laughs> All 
right, so we are going to play a quick podcast promo, and then when we come back, we are representing our coverage from the year of 2015, discussing the first appearance of Blue Devil in this 16-page preview. Oh, man, if I could go back to 2015, I definitely wouldn't, because we... <laughs> I'm so glad to be up with that. Let me tell you. Automa, Argus, Automa, Ballistic, Cardinal Sin, Channelman, Chimera, Edge, Freight Train, Geist, Gunfire, Hackrat, Harry Force, Hitman, Hook, Jam, Joe Public, Loria, Crack, Layla, Lionheart, Loose Cannon, Megabiter, Mongolia, Myriad, Nightblade, Output, Pass, Prism, Razor Shark, Rodney Jane, Samaritan, Shadow Strike, Slingshot, Smart Shot, Terrorist. Wow, that's a lot of radical trademark names. And you may not have heard of any of them, but they were all introduced in DC Comics' 1993 Summer Annuals. Most went on to figure into more stories within their four-color universe. Many earned their own spotlight series, and one became a cult hit from acclaimed creators. While the comics of the 1990s are often derided, for me, as a longtime comic book reader, I found a deepened fandom and a safe harbor from the Chromium Age in the DCU. I fell in love with the history and legacy found in generations of heroic mantles, and my journey into this continuity largely began with Bloodlines. Join me, the Frank, as I explore the more overlooked areas of DC Comics' superheroes, beginning with an early 90s intellectual property generating stunt and fanning outward towards other obscurities and icons from throughout decades of sequential art stories, all flowing through the DC bloodlines. Podcast available on iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available at Fire and Water Podcast, Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? It's bad enough. I have to put up with your shenanigans every... But yes, we're going to be talking about Blue Devil! Oh, is that for me? DC's most dynamic new superhero, apparently, which is what Frank's trying to get out, but he can't friggin' say it. So, we're going to talk about the, specifically, the Blue Devil 16-page preview that appeared in, wait for it, on target, on tangent, Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number 24. Well, Frank and I are both uh, fans of classic Blue Devil. We're talking the Dan Mishkin, Gary Cohn, Paris Cullen's classic Blue Devil stuff. All right. So, Blue Devil appeared as a 16-page bonus preview in the middle of Firestorm. Firestorm number 24. And, uh, you know, should we do the recap first or talk about sort of Blue Devil in general? What do you think? Um, well, I mean, it's an introduction to the character, so let's do the recap first and then we can go into greater discussion afterwards. Since they'll okay. already sort of be getting, wading into the character at this point. Perfect. I mean, okay. uh, what, how many of you guys read Blue Devil? Show of hands? 
Oh, that's right. I can't see you. Okay, moving on. Lots of them. So the opening splash is basically a cover within the comic. They've developed a cover for the 16-page 16 16 preview. It is you know, the late Alec cover. It's got the DC bullet. It's got the little Comics Code Authority. It's even got like the little where they used to put the numbering and everything and the little call-out box in the bottom where they had the barcode. It's really well done. So it's a shot of Blue Devil leaping up into the sky. You know, his rocket tried and flying him, and he's going to attack the trickster who has a stylized fisherman pole and has the wire wrapped around Blue Devil. And this is DC's most dynamic new superhero, Blue Devil. The costume makes the man. Man, what a costume! So, as the story opens, you're getting two very different perspectives of two individuals. Each are reading the same magazine article. The article is about a stuntman and special effects artist named Dan Cassidy, who's created a very unique costume and trident for a horror movie called Blue Devil. And this exoskeleton increases Dan's strength and his acrobatic ability. The trident has like a rocket propulsion, which allows him flight and all kinds of gimmicks. And the two individuals reading this magazine, one is a rival special effects artist named James Jesse, and the other is a young boy named Gopher, and Gopher Gopher's actually sitting with Dan Cassidy. These two people that are reading are not together, but they're reading the same article. James Jesse decides he wants to steal the costume. Meanwhile, Gopher is really excited about the article, and he's sharing it with Dan. Then we meet the supporting cast of, of, the, of the comic. We meet movie producer Marla Bloom. We meet lead actors Wayne Tarrant and Sharon Scott. Marla wants Blue Devil on the set in costume for a photo op. Dan says he's way too busy because he's tinkering away with the device. You get a sense that Dan is a tinkerer. He likes to fiddle with the costume and the mechanics behind it and all the servos and all that. So Wayne is forced to go against his will to go put on one of these. Uh, they have like an unpowered mock-up suit. So he has to go to the photo shoot in that. And during this scene, we sort of figure out that Wayne is a washed-up actor. I'm guessing, you know, probably soap operas or whatever. But he's a washed-up actor, and he's lucky to be in this Blue Devil film at all. And when we're introduced to Sharon at the same time, we find out Sharon is harboring a crush on Dan, and she rejects Wayne's sort of pathetic advances. So during the photo shoot, Wayne's sort of acting all goofy and stuff, but he's wearing this non-powered suit. Sharon's providing sort of the B actress screaming, ah, you get the sense that this Blue Devil movie is a pretty low production type film. Anyway, about this time, James Jesse shows up, comes into the set. He's revealed to be the trickster. So if you don't know your flash rogues, you may have been surprised to find out this guy's actually the trickster. He uses this stylized fishing pole and he hooks Wayne in the Blue Devil costume and takes off flying with him, capturing him. He's intending to steal this technology for himself. He doesn't realize that Wayne's wearing this mock-up fake costume. Gopher comes in and convinces Dan he's got to use the real Blue Devil costume to go save Wayne. Flies up there. There's several pages of Trickster and Blue Devil exchanging blows and gimmicks. It's a lot of fun. In the end, Blue Devil prevails by breaking Trickster's glass jaw. And then while Wayne uh, is being untied, Trickster gets away. Everyone's pretty impressed with the performance of the Blue Devil costume, except for Dan. And uh, he's off to go tinker with it some more. And that's how it ends. And you get a great uh, sort of tease with a big full-page splash, and it's got this huge shot of Blue Devil, and there's all this cool iconography behind him, which are all hints from the first episode, first issue. And it says, if you think you've got the Blue Devil figured out, we think you figured wrong! And you'll see why when he bounds into his own sensational series later this month, as one reluctant hero and one real-life demon meet head-on in a cataclysmic confrontation, which will change Dan Cassidy's life forever. Uh, and I, while I was flipping, by the way, I accidentally stumbled upon the uh, Remco ad for Arak and Warlord and Hercules and Demos and Mikola and Machiste. I love it. Available at Kmart. I own Sorry. most of those figures. I was, I think, I in matter of fact, I still have my Mikola in in a box here at the house. Ah. <laughs> 
in the box? Because, Why? No, no, no. I mean, in a in a box where I have my toys. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you meant yeah, like you know, no, stored away. Mikola was one of my favorite action figures as a kid. So, and I really? still have the original one that I bought back in whatever '84, I guess it was, and I still have love for that figure. It's great sculpt. How funny! What is it? What is Mikola from? Is he from? Uh, he, is he from Warlord? Yeah, he's from Warlord. If I remember correctly, he was a uh, a Russian pilot who found, uh, uh, or he was a Russian anyway, and he found his way into the Lost World of Skartaris, and I think he was also a werewolf. And oh yeah, I remember him from Who's Who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't look anything like the figure. Doesn't look anything like the actual character. He has a feral quality too, with big bushy eyebrows and fangs and stuff. So he was like the Wolverine of my He-Man action figures. There you go. That'll work. <laughs> so what do you think of this preview? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is I've been a Blue Devil fan for most of the characters' existence. The way that mm-hmm. I got Blue Devil comics was I would go to a flea market where somebody was reselling the. I think there were fifty cent comics, and they were selling for probably a quarter. And I ended up buying much of the early run through those means. But one issue I'd never had was number one, and I also never had this issue of Firestorm. So, like, for instance, when the Trickster turns up later on in the series, I was like, wait, when did they meet before? I knew he wasn't a number one, and I didn't realize that there was a preview existed for quite a few years. And I bought this comic. I don't know when I bought this book. I think I was buying a bunch of Firestorm books that I still haven't gotten around to reading from the <sighs> shop. Sorry, but they, they, and they were like a buck a pop as back issues. So I bought them all up, I put them in a box, and I've yet to read any of them. So despite being a fan of Blue Devil for decades, my whole finally read the story earlier this week for the first time ever. <laughs> okay. So uh, your perspective as someone coming to it fresh, what do you think? Well, the first thing is that pinup at the back of the, the preview is mm-hmm. magnificent. I love it. It's so detailed. It's a little bit more menacing than the series would, you know, it looks like the series would be more menacing than it actually is because the character looks more fierce. Mm-hmm. But it's it's so intricately drawn. Paris Collins really went to town on this. It reminds me a lot of Art Adams, the way that this is drawn. And that would have been a great front cover for the first issue or for this preview. The cover they use on the actual preview is funny because it's... It's sort of an awkward positioning of the characters. It's a good second or third issue cover, but for a brief preview, it seems off. And also, you get a really good view of that big blue butt of Blue Devils. <laughs> I can see what you mean. It does look like an issue two or three because you're seeing you're, you're not seeing much of Blue Devil's front. That's a good point. Also, it looks like they're in London. Why why are they charging toward Big Ben when it's a Hollywood production? Well, it's a, it's a set, probably. Ah, oh, good call. Nice no prize. Oh wait, wrong podcast. But but if you read the cover in traditional sort of Z format, you know how you read from like a letter Z, you read left to right, then diagonal, then left to right. You, know, you get to Asia, Trickster yeah. pretty early though in that, and he was certainly more well known than Blue Devil at this point. So maybe that was on purpose. Although Trickster's tiny though, maybe not. I don't know. I do like that cape though. They do a nice, dramatic, solid black cape. Looks cool. You know, I I'd have to do some research. I, I tried to do some research on this ahead of time, and I could not find the reference. But in my memory, I could have sworn I had heard that the preview was done after number. Number one, like they did number one, and then they said we want a preview, so they had to do the preview afterwards. I think that wouldn't shock me. And I, actually, I kind of like that anyway because you really want to put as much bang in that first issue as possible. But yeah. you had those zero issues that came out in the '90s where they could fill in some of the backstory they didn't have room for in the early issues. And I think that that's what they were doing with these previews as well, is give you a chance to kind of look at what you've done and go, you know, I wish we'd done this moment or I wish we'd done that. And there's a lot less pressure because while you're exposing a new audience to your creation, they're not having to pay for it. It's a free 16-page preview. So you can kind of ease people into the concept. You don't have to, like, blow their minds right off the bat. And I like that this kind of gives you backstory on the Blue Devil character that you didn't get from the early issues that enrich the character. Oh, yeah. It certainly does. So you still haven't shared your opinion yet. Well, I I like the story fine, but I did have a few issues with it. I actually was, even knowing that the trickster was going to be in the 
issue. I was somewhat confused at the beginning of the story as to who was talking. I just thought that maybe Dan Cassidy's hair had been miscolored. It didn't occur to me that it would be James Jesse who's reading an article at the same time as Gopher's reading an article. And I, I liked it, it's, but it's one of those things where I had I read a page or so and then I had to go back and realize what it was that I was reading. But I, I liked that. I thought it was a, an entertaining idea. It was, it was an interesting way of coming at a new story. Cassidy doesn't have a, as much to do in this story as I would have liked. I don't feel like I got to know him as well as I would have wanted to if I had never read Blue Devil before. But I'm digging those great big brown lamb chops he's got. I like. Oh yeah, they're I, sweet. He's just he, he's so a product of a, of this time. You can still get away with that. He looks like the kind of guy if he's a tech guy and a stunt man. These are not guys who let go of their styles very easily. So I could picture him doing because he was a stunt man as well, wasn't he? Yes, he was, he's a yeah. stunt man and a, and, a, and a special effects guy. Yep. So I could picture him, you know, thinking that was cool in 1978 and still wearing those lamb chops in '84 and maybe not getting as many women from it, but not quite willing to let it go just yet. Well, I love the rolled up shirt where he's, he's wearing like a short sleeve shirt or maybe it's a long sleeve shirt that's rolled up, but it's like halfway over his guns and his guns are just really kicking right in that, yeah, in, that dude, in page two. And, and that is actually something else that I had a little bit of trouble with too is, and maybe it was because they didn't know where the series was going to go from this point, but it, it occurs to me that the combination of FX, Maestro, and Stuntman is a bit perhaps excessive. Like he's almost like too much of too many different fields that he's working in. It's one of those things that only ever exists in fiction rather than in real life. And it's kind of a shame that Dan wasn't just the stunt man because if you've got a situation like with Iron Man, the guy has to create his own suit. It's important that he does his own thing. But with Blue Devil, really the series is defined by this guy being trapped in the suit and how he deals with this world that he thought was scientific and is in fact, you know, somewhat governed by supernatural elements and have an FX guy as another one of his supporting characters. Because Dan doesn't do a lot of tech stuff in the rest of the series. I don't really remember him doing a lot, aside from working on the Trident a little bit and kind of trying to jazz that up some. But most of what he did was related to mysticism. And since he's trapped in the suit, he doesn't have to be this big, strong, you know, superheroic build going into the suit. The suit could do that work for him. So they actually could have played him more lean, more, you know, more of a, of a, of a common man, where he's already somewhat idealized at this point in the story. You make a good point. He, uh, him being a tech guy, is really only important in, in the preview in issue one. It's very, very rarely is it ever important again. So that, that's a good point. He could have just been the stuntman, and they could have had a supporting guy as the tech guy. That would have been interesting. That would have given um, you know someone like Norm something more to do if he had been a tech guy too, not just the cameraman. Because Norm, while Norm was a great character, he didn't have a lot to do in the series. Yeah, it made sense for the cameraman to being a supporting character while the movie was filming, and then I think eventually the series moved on to a sequel. But it was much more forced in other instances where if he were the tech guy if he were having to try to work out how Dan gets out of the suit if he were working on the trident and tweaking it it would have given him more to do so I agree with you there now I will say you were a fool for not realizing that James Jesse was a bad guy and not Dan because the way this first page is laid out the way it works guys is that again I, I mentioned in the recap they're reading the same magazine article Gopher and Jesse and down the middle are shots of Blue Devil doing acrobatics punching through walls taking a hit from a car and on the left hand side is shots of James Jesse reading the article having very negative comments on the right hand side is Gopher having very positive comments so it's, it's a really nicely laid out thing you read Jesse you see Blue Devil, then you read Gopher, and then repeats three times. So the reasons why you should have got that Jesse was the bad guy is because he's saying negative things and he's smoking. See, the smoke, there's something here about smoking because Jesse is smoking and Gopher is putting the straw in his mouth. There's some sort of parallel there, I'm pretty confident, because even then the full-page splash where it shows them split reading the magazine, James Jesse, there's an ad for smoking on the back of the magazine as well. Well, here's the thing. With Blue Devil, I think the first issue I bought was either two or three. 
And so by that point, you didn't see a lot of Dan Cassidy anymore. He was just the Blue Devil. So True. I wasn't 100% what Dan Cassidy looked like coming into the story since I'd seen him so little. Yeah, okay. All and right. Excuses, sort of, excuses. Yeah, he's sort of an everyman type character. There's a little bit of a Ben Grimm quality to him. So him smoking would have been an option. You could do that back in the 80s and not be a villain. I suppose so. I will say the biggest thing for me with the preview is uh, there's one thing I feel let down about, and that's the inking. Pablo Marcos did the inking. I believe Pablo inked the first issue as well. I can't remember. But for me, the the inker for Blue De- the, the art team for Blue Devil is Paris Collins with um, Gary, Gary Martin. Martin. Yep. Is that right, Gary Martin? That yeah, is absolutely, Gary Martin. Gary Martin is yep. one of the best inkers the industry ever had. I love his work. And I was absolutely going to make the same comment, is this book looks kind of brittle by comparison. Gary Martin is so rich with his inks. He really fleshed out those characters and helped to keep a con- visual consistency even after Paris Collins left the book. But even with Paris here, with Pablo's marking inking, it just doesn't quite look like the book I expected to be. It's like it hasn't quite gotten to the place it's going to be yet, just based solely on the inking. Mm-hmm. And it's probably true. I mean, and also, I mean, Paris was very new at this too. You know, this well, well, the preview may have been written after the first issue. Who knows? Maybe it was drawn first. I don't know. So I don't know what the uh, I don't know what all the sequence is. I'm gonna have to figure out where that was in the in my research. Um, I like the way Wayne is developed because at first, in my mind, Wayne is a sexist, cowardly jerk from the ongoing series, and that's who I see, and that's who I read about. But that's not who Wayne is in this book. I had to go back and read it a second time to realize that Wayne in the preview is not that guy. Wayne is a washed-up actor, yes. He's not sexist so much as he really wanted to Sharon to go out with him, so she rejected him, and he said some nasty, a couple of nasty things. But, and then later on, he's not cowardly at all. In fact, he tries to fight the trickster but loses. So Wayne is actually sort of a bit of a heroic, washed-up guy in this, in this story. So I, it's kind of an interesting portrayal of Wayne that we don't really see later. Uh, I think you're giving him more credit than he deserves here. The guy gets turned down by an actress, and he's already hurling some pretty nasty invective about her being, you know, a little old to be robbing the cradle, hooking yeah. up with Dan Cassidy. I acknowledge Saying that, that to an actress, that's a, that's one of the worst things you could say beyond bringing up words like Sal, you know? So he was pretty much a jerk, and any guy who reacts that way, oh, you don't want to date me? Well, let me throw an insult at you. Not a classy guy. So, and, you know, if you're floating in the air, yeah, you're probably going to try to find some way to get loose of, of this guy who's got you in a fishing hook and draping you through the air. So that's self-preservation. That's not particularly heroic. Okay, I, that's, that's, I'll give you that. That's fair. All right, fair enough. But later on, he's portrayed completely as cowardly. You know, so it's, I just feel like his character hadn't gone as far south as he would. So. Well, it's like when you're watching a sitcom when it's first getting started, and a lot of times they try to create character types but some element will, you know, catch with the audience, and then they'll just exacerbate it, and the character will be completely subsumed by this archetype that they become. Sure. So I feel like it's sort of the same way. Here, he's still a one-dimensional character. As the series progresses, and as Wayne kind of gets sidelined as the show, uh, series goes on, he had to be big just to show up in your memory at all. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Dan's done well. Dan is portrayed as a constant tinkerer. He's enthusiastic. He's somewhat of a reluctant hero, but he's enjoying what he's doing, jumping around. So I thought Dan came off pretty well. You're right. You don't know him really well, but you at least sort of, like you said, every man relate to him. Whereas I think the trickster really came off the best. Of any of the character development in this, trickster really had a great, great sort of thing. Because he he comes off here, as and as many of the rogues do, he's not a criminal per se, as he's more of a crook. You know, if you understand the distinction of what I mean. 
Sure, sure. Well, because he's wearing this flamboyant costume, so you might expect, like on the uh, the Flash TV show, when he was portrayed by Mark Hamill, who did him sort of as a prototype for his Joker on Batman the Animated Series. He's very big and cartoonish, but I kind of like that he's sort of an everyman who's putting on this costume because it works for him, because it's part of the image he's trying to convey. But at his heart, it's just a, it's it kind of works with the whole Hollywood vibe of this series. It's a role he's playing. He's dressed as a trickster. He looks goofy, but it, it, at his whole soul is just like, look, I'm here to do my job, don't get in my way, and then I'm going to go home and smoke some more cigarettes. Yeah, and he has a day job. He, he's a special effects guy. I mean, they, you rarely do the villains, do you see they have day jobs? And that's you know, actually it, one of the worst, the nastiest parts of the story, is because when he first gets on the lot of, uh, it was it established as Werner Brothers yet in this story? I don't think so. I'll look that up. Will you keep talking? Okay, and Werner Brothers is obviously just an analog for Warner Brothers. So in order to get on the set, he has the con, the security guy, who has been, you know, keeping everybody out for years and years. He takes pride in it. It's mentioned in the story. And so he zaps this guy, and he falls, you know, uh, falls basically toward his own head. So this guy may have sustained some pretty serious damage by the way the trickster zapped him. And this is a guy who knew him as James Jesse. They were pals. They were talking, you know, very socially. And then, boom, he zaps the guy. What a jerk. Yeah, yeah, it is Werner Brothers, by the way. It is revealed as Werner Brothers. Yeah, it's, it was very sad because you, you, he looked. The, the cop almost seems like like the Maytag rich pearman, kind of friendly faced, little overweight. Hey, how you doing, buddy? And then, which is like you said. So, but I, I, I like the way Trickster's developed. I think it was great that they turned him into you know as time went by in the series, they turned him into almost a protagonist for the series. You know, he's the mischievous character, but he's still one of the main you know characters of the book. So yeah, like you said, he's a crook. He's not a murderer. He's not a crazy person. He's not evil. He just is trying to make ends in ways that aren't appropriate but he has greater wants than other people so he's definitely the bad guy you're definitely rooting for blue devil which is something that kind of got lost in comics over the years we forgot that we're supposed to be showing heroes and showing positive role models and we got all tied up into all that anti-hero nonsense which and they have their place but it's nice where he's an anti-hero in that respect. He's doing good deeds and working with the Blue Devil. But at the end of the day, he's still a bad guy. He still deserves to get thrown in the slammer. You can enjoy him for being this, you know, sort of uh, uh, more sordid character than the proper heroes. But he's still the bad guy. You're still there for Blue Devil. He's just a little extra flavoring. He's a little pepper in the mix. Well, Blue Devil, um, the way they build it was there's, there was a huge poster. In fact, I just got one off eBay not too recently where their tagline is, We made comics fun again. And that was their slogan for Blue Devil because that was – as you just said, things were getting darker and getting grittier. I mean we weren't even at Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen yet, but they were heading that way. And so they purposely wanted to create a fun character. So. And, and I do – that's why I still have an enduring love for these Blue Devil comic books is that – yeah, they're they're dated, but they're still enjoyable. The, the creators are clearly having a good time. The characters are having a good time. It's a great environment to set a series in, this whole idealized version of Hollywood that never really existed. But it's such a blast to go that, to that place, to leave the place where you're at and enjoy La La Land and enjoy all the craziness. And the trickster's going to show up out of nowhere, and there's a weirdness magnet. And it's just great to just, you know dive into this this material yeah there's there's a fun easter egg by the way on, on page seven uh where he goes to grab his staff neboros is actually uh, like a little action figure or model of neboros is there in the forefront oh yeah i missed a great that easter egg. yeah now you talk about it you know th- being fun and everything like that just to give you some some thoughts i'm going to talk a little bit general about blue devil i i have a huge passion for this character uh and, and it mainly comes from the fun for me the way i discovered it was i i had a lot of friends that read comics and were more into it than i was they were all reading new 
Teen Titans and New Mutants, and I felt like I had missed the boat on those books, and I didn't want to start late into it and knew there was no way I was ever going to be able to afford a copy of, you know, off the back issues of New, New Titans number one. Or new Teen Titans, I should say. So I, uh, I was sort of sad that I missed the boat. And a buddy of mine said, well, hey, there's some new series starting that's getting a lot of promotion called Blue Devil. Why don't you give it a try? That's how I ended up starting with Blue Devil. The buddy of mine suggested it. And sure enough, I just absolutely loved it. So I, over the years, I have actually made an effort to, to really study Blue Devil and even have gone so far as I've actually interviewed the creators. I interviewed Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin. And I did this back before the Fire and Water podcast existed. You know, maybe I'll put that audio in the thread someday. It's not very good audio uh, quality or anything like that. It's the first audio thing I ever did. But it's, it's me talking to them for like an hour and a half about Blue Devil and Amethyst. And it's really fascinating. You can find that over on Once Upon a Geek. In fact, I'll put it in the show notes if you have any interest in hearing it. Not so much me, but hearing Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn talk about the creation of Blue Devil and, and a lot of their thoughts on it. It's, it's a lot of fun from that perspective. There's also been a couple of really great articles in Back Issue Magazine. Do you ever read Back Issue Magazine? Oh, yeah. Actually, I just ordered uh, in the, the most recent previews that I had in hand, they're doing an issue on the Charlton Heroes, so I had to snag that up. And oh, uh, well, Rob's gotten published in that book before, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Well, the, the mo- at least I think the most recent issue at the time of this publication is issue 77, and it's, uh, it's about when comics were fun, and there's a huge, exhaustive Blue Devil article in there by Daniel D'Angelo, and it's got lots of stuff with Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin, and actually, I am credited several times in the article um, for my interviews with them and the content I published over on Once Upon a Geek, so that was kind of exciting for me, but... Here's some of the history on it. They, uh, Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn were writing for DC already, and they were contacted and said, hey, the, basically uh, what they were, their editor said was, Steve Ditko is looking for new ideas. Do you have any? Would you have something to do You know, the, for him to draw? And they, they got so excited, and they said, all right, let's try and find something very Ditko-esque. So, and once I say this, you're going to go, oh, of course. They tried to come up with everything they loved about Marvel in the 1960s. So when they developed Blue Devil, he's part Ben Grimm. You said it yourself. He's part Ben Grimm, the thing. He's part Peter Parker, Spider-Man. He's part Tony Stark, Iron Man. And there's a little Green Goblin thrown in there. Is that not the perfect co- description? Well, and Doctor them? Strange, too, with all the stuff with Niboros and the metaphysical True. elements. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, didn't no, mention that, I, but I, that, I, that was where their thought process came from. That's and great. apparently I, Dan's wife is from North Carolina, and Dan spent some time there, so they went with the name Blue Devil. They pitched it to Ditko, and he said, nah, not interested. And they were shocked by this. Like, what? So they still shopped the idea around a little bit. DC loved the idea for it, and they got Paris Collins involved with the thing. In fact, uh, I don't mean to keep pimping my Once Upon a Geek site, but over there, there is the original pitch they gave DC with some of the Paris Collins artwork. And, dude, it's, it's gorgeous. It is a beautiful pitch. What happened was Gary Cohn sent it to me, and I scanned it in and put it up on, on Once Upon a Geek. Um, it's a great pitch. It tells you, shows you lots of early artwork that never got published. Uh, in fact, they used a lot of it in the back issue article. But it's, it's really cool stuff. So they got Paris Collins on board. And in fact, the first issue was a lot darker than what was originally published. There was a lot more um, sort of whining and, and bemoaning being stuck in the costume. At one point, I don't know whether this made it into the comic or not, but Dan had actually contemplated suicide and things like this. And Jeanette Kahn read it, and she said, guys, this needs to be reworked. Now, ultimately, it was their choice how they changed it, but she made some suggestions. They removed a lot of the darker stuff. They removed Dan's whining, and it came out as it was in number one, and they feel like it's a much stronger issue for Jeanette's changes. The only real thing that came out that they didn't expect was they expected Blue Devil to be a darker blue color than he was, but they think that he got colored that way to sort of, you know, have a stronger contrast with Trickster, because Trickster's got a dark blue on him. 
So the, I, I find that stuff fascinating, you know, the creation of the character and how they got to be. And he, could you imagine if Ditko had drawn him in that style? That would have been pretty interesting to see. I mean, I don't want Paris Collins to go away, but Ditko would have been fun to see him do this stuff. No, honestly, because I'd never heard that about Ditko before, to my recollection anyway. And I could picture it in my mind. He does look like a Ditko-esque character, and I'm sure that they hadn't, didn't have the design at that point. But just picturing Paris Collins' design as drawn by Ditko, it makes perfect sense, except that as Ditko became more and more involved in objectivism, he rejected all elements of the supernatural and refused to work on any characters for the most part that involved the supernatural. I think the only time I can remember him going into those areas was he did a Spectre story for one of those DC Universe, you know, tabloids or not tabloids, the thick books that they did a number of years back, but he hated any kind of supernatural elements in his stories later in his career. So it makes sense that he would reject the premise, but man, it does when you say that, it makes perfect sense. Of course all those characters are in the mix, and I love those characters, especially when they're done correctly, and these guys were obviously relishing the opportunity to relive those Silver Age Marvel qualities. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that Ditko had rejected Supernatural, so that makes perfect sense why he didn't want anything to do with the story. Fascinating. And I don't think that would have been commonly known in 1984 either, so yeah. of course you would be gearing toward his wheelhouse. I mean, he did Stalker just a few years prior to the, well, almost a decade now to think about it. But he did Stalker. <laughs> that definitely had supernatural elements, but he really rejected that kind of thing as he got older. You know, it's funny. You said Paris Collins' design. Believe it or not, Paris Collins did not design Blue Double. It was designed by Gary Cohn, the writer, who, who's an art teacher, but the drawing is, is the art, the design he did was very simplistic. And uh, that, again, sorry for the plug. It's over on Once Upon a Geek, the original drawing Gary Cohn did to design Blue Devil that he gave to Paris Collins. And uh, when I was talking about it, I said, uh, you know, how much did Paris Collins change? And he said, only enough to make it good. <laughs> <laughs> so if you look at the drawing, all the basic elements are there, but it's nowhere as developed as Collins' look. Now, there's been a couple of cool action figures. I don't know if you get into the action figures at all, but I've bought every Blue Devil action figure that's been made. And the first one that came out was, well, I may have my order mixed up, but there was one came out in the Crisis line by George Perez. It just, it looks off. They got the face, they got the horns right, but the face wrong, and it's really hard to enjoy it, because the face just doesn't look like Blue Devil. I have to look at the figure again myself, but I remember having similar issues. I remember having qualms about that, where it didn't look like my Blue Devil. It was just not right. Yep. Well, it sat on my desk for a long time, because it was the best Blue Devil figure we had, you know? And then there's been some, there's been at least least one hero click, if not more, but that was the Shadow Pack version. Then there was the Justice League Unlimited version, which doesn't look like your traditional Blue Devil, but it's certainly looks like Blue Devil from Just League Unlimited, which is fine. And then later on, DC Classics by Mattel came out with a Blue Devil figure that looks pretty much spot on. It's really well done. The face is right. It looks like a Paris Collins drawing. The trident's right. It's That sits on my desk. So I have... On my desk, I have the Blue Devil figure, I have two Firestorm figures, and um, a couple of little tiny other things. And that makes me happy and gets me, helps me get through the workday every day. I need to get on eBay and get that DC Classics figure. It came out when I was back in school, and I just I didn't wasn't willing to spend $20 on the Blue Devil action figure at a time where I just wasn't making any money. But that yeah. is a gorgeous, gorgeous figure. I did manage to pick up a secondhand the Justice League Unlimited version. And you're right, it's nice, but it's in the Bruce Timm style. The Classics is so on model for what you would expect from Blue Devil based on the comics that I, I really want to own that. But I have to say, too, 
the design of Blue Devil. It's simple, but it's so, so effective. The costume is is unlike anybody else's costume. Nobody has that particular combination of light and dark blue with the yellow. The horns are so well put together. I love how the horns match his facial hair. He's got pointed, like, what would you call that? Like a Fu Manchu? Sort of, yeah. And that actually is the symbol you'll see a lot. Like a, a, a what do you call it? Outline silhouette where you see the horns and you see the beard sort of thing. Yeah. And I love the big popped pointed collar. I love that he's got a sort of a double icon in his outfit. It's simple, but it's so hard to do a simple suit with as much detail as it has and get that balance right, where it still looks basic and there's not a lot of excess lines, but it's just exactly the right amount of lines to convey what you want about the character. And the earring. There's just something about that little element of asymmetry that works for a character like Blue Devil. It's a gorgeous design. So, of course, DC's done nothing but jack with it ever since the book ended. (laughs) Well, all right. I will take a bit of a different tangent. Well, I love our different point of view. I love the costume. I really, really do. And I want to see Blue Devil in the classic costume. It does look kind of ridiculous. As, as clean as the lines are, and it works when Paris Collins draws it, it's sort of like Firestorm's costume in that it's sort of ludicrous. It looks like it belongs in a circus. And I could see why they have trouble with it currently. And that's why I was okay with the shadow pack look, which is essentially jeans and a black t-shirt, you know, with that sort of blue devil blue symbol on his chest or on, on, his, on his heart. And that sort of worked. Every other version they've done has been terrible. The one in Just Like America, where he got, you know, after Underworld Unleashed was awful. Ugh. You're right, the New 52 version is terrible. So I don't know that he could come back in this costume as much as I want him to. I, I don't know, dude. It's a little much. <laughs> Here's the thing. And it's something that, you know, the, the industry is not in the best of shape right now. And I think one of the reasons for that is sometimes we forget they're comic books. This suit doesn't work in a movie. It would work fine for animation, which is enough of a lateral move from comics in terms of what you can do aesthetically, that you can you can make that move. But sometimes a combo character just needs to be a combo character. And if you want to have somebody be successful, don't make him like everybody else. I made that crack about Hellboy earlier, but turning him into Chach Hellboy, where he's got a, a polo shirt and he replaces the crocodile or the polo player with his old symbol, it's like you're ashamed of, of the character. If you're going to do a character like Blue Devil, it's a ridiculous concept. It's made for comic books. Guess what? He's in comic books. Make a comic book. Okay. Fair argument. Fair argument. I still don't think it would work in a modern context, though. Um, now, here's some interesting stuff. They're, they were hoping to do others. Like, towards the end of the series, they were going to take the series in a different direction. They were going to introduce, like, an angel character, and they were going to do some darker stuff with it. They'd been given the green light to do it, but the sh- series got canceled before they got the chance. Then, uh, apparently, they also shopped around a trickster miniseries. Which would have been fantastic. They, they, they had like a five issue Trickster miniseries in mind where Trickster was going to be sort of put in a position where one of his own idols was killed. And so he has to sort of become a reluctant protagonist and, and sort of av- not, not avenge, but it's more of like they're going to put him in some almost a heroic role, but because he was forced to be in that role. And that would have been awesome. They masterfully handled the Trickster. You know, even after I did say earlier, I think that once Paris Collins left, the series was never the same, but you know, there was that great issue with Keith Giffen where the Trickster you know, stole a bank in midair, which was great. Now, I think you. I think you're. You said you. How far did you stay with the series? I've got most of the issues of the run uh, around issue because then he he had a, t- a crossover with Firestorm around issue what twenty four or so. Uh, yeah, it was issue twenty three, but yeah, okay, thereabouts. And I, I made it a few months after that, and then my flea market source dried up, 
And I don't know that I ever really went back and bought those as back issues. I've seen them. They don't seem to have the same spark. Honestly, that that second year that I was reading wasn't as much fun as I would have liked. But I do think I liked it better than you. I liked Alan Kupperberg when he was drawing the book. I didn't actually notice a difference in the art as a kid. It didn't, it didn't even register that they had changed artists on me. <laughs> but at some point in the mid-teens, I noticed that it just wasn't quite hitting the way that it used to. For, for me, like the first six, first six issues, if you want the absolute best, the first six issues in annual number one are unbelievable. All drawn by Paris Collins. They're all fantastic. I still really enjoyed the series up through issue 10. Um, that's when, again, Keith Giffen, I think Alan Kupperberg probably had already started on the book by that point. I, I still really enjoyed up through issue 10. Uh, it's not as great. It's still enjoyable for me after that point. There's some great gems in there. Like I do like issue 18, the crisis tie-in where they ironically meet the Omega Men, which ironic for me because I'm not an Omega Men fan. Surprisingly, the Blue Devil Firestorm crossover is not one of my favorite stories at all. Whereas you think me, that, that would was be like pure a last, gold right there for yeah, me? For me, that was like a last raw. That was like one of the last stories I enjoyed, probably because I wasn't as familiar with Firestorm either. So all those characters from the Firestorm book, I think Multiplex was in that one, for instance. Yep, Multiplex and uh, Slipknot and Mindboggler and Hyena and, you know, this sort of Firestorm and Bolt joined them from the Blue Devil group. Yeah. From the Blue Devil uh, villains. Yeah. So for you, that would have been all old hat. But for me, I didn't know those characters. So it was my introduction to them. So I was probably just a wash and all that Firestormy goodness. Yeah. Could be. It, 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 it was a bit of a letdown, and partially because the Firestorm issues were drawn by. Um Oh, who's the artist? He's not He's not my favorite. Is that Raphael uh, Kayanen? No, Raphael Kayanen would have been great. It would have been absolutely great. But no, it's uh, it's an artist that I'm not a huge fan of. See, if it was Joe Brozowski, I would have been fine too. And, and he did the covers, but the interiors were done by somebody else. So it doesn't matter. We're going to move on. I can't come up with it. It'll come to me later. They also thought toyed around with bringing Blue Devil back. They, they put out a proposal called Midnight Blue which was going to be a much darker Blue Devil storyline. Uh, they, they had pitched that around. You can read about that in, in various articles and stuff. It sounded like an interesting concept, but again, a much darker, much creepier thing. Blue Devil is not really a, a, a true blue hero. It wasn't funny, and uh, it didn't really get picked up. Folks, uh, I hope you, you know, it's been a, just a brief sort of whirlwind talk about Blue Devil. Just that little preview. And uh, anything else, Frank? Yeah, uh, three things. One, I wanted to point out that Marla Bloom really had um, Wayne's sack in her handbag. And I, <laughs> it's a shame that this was done in 1984, and for a woman to have that kind of power is still pretty uncommon in Hollywood. But i got to respect Marla for having that action. Uh, the second thing I want to say— She had the hot hair going, too. I, I always thought Marla was sexy as hell. She, she's Yeah, she's one of those—you know, I, I used to watch Designing Women, and I had a little bit of a crush on Dixie Carter. She's kind of in that same scope. Okay. Uh, secondly, the Firestorm artist you're looking for is the beloved George Tuska. I just found it this very second. <laughs> George Tuska, who I've talked about before on this show because he did some Justice League stuff. <sighs> George Tuska is a fine artist, but in the mid-1980s, he was not the man to draw superhero comics. Let's just leave it at that. I kind of want to look at that again, though, because it says the inker is uh, Mike Gustavich, yeah. and that's, you know, he's of the Neil Adams school, so seeing that mixed in with Tuska, that would be, that seems like, I want to see what that looks like. You will be greatly disappointed. And but, I mean, you, you sit there, and you got this awesome, you know, in this case, Dennis Cowan cover. The next one's Joe Brozowski cover. Really awesome covers. You're de- you know, Paris Cullens does the Blue Devil cover. And then you get inside, and it's George Tuska in the mid '80s drawing superheroes. Oh, yeah! So it just crushed my soul. To this day, it crushes my soul. 
So we're talking about Marla Bloom being hot. And the, the, the third, well, in the third and final part for me is that if you turn a few more pages back in this comic book to page roughly 22, there's a full page ad for Blue Devil in his full glory, smiling and kicking ass. Oh, in the same comic? In the same comic, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, you know what? That looks like that is taken from the poster, perhaps. Let me see. Uh, yes, that is taken from the poster that they produced. It says, we've made comics fun again, and it even says it here in the house ad. So, yeah, that's, that's all tied in together. Okay, we are back from 2015, safe and sound, back in good old 2023. Frank, thank you so much for appearing on the show and joining me on this eight-year-long journey celebrating Blue Devil. I love that we spent eight years to produce basically one podcast episode. About 16 pages. One comic story. <laughs> eight years, two podcasts, and a lot of Once Upon a Geek branding. <laughs> Why don't they tell the listeners where they can find more of you? Why, after all of this, they would have any interest Maybe in that? I have no to, idea. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, well, one place you could definitely look is Rolled Spine, because I just was involved in a podcast crossover where everybody kept telling everybody to go to Rolled Spine. We actually have a number of different podcasts there. One of the participating podcasts is called DC Bloodlines. Uh, actually, what I would explain is that we actually have two feats. We have the four-color Rolled Spine, where I am a good boy, and then the plain Rolled Spine, where me and my friends are not so good boys and we talk about <laughs> comic book stuff and movie stuff depending on the two but you figure out what lane works best for you if you just search rolled spine podcast on the internet you'll be able to find the web page the blog that has everything on it so if you like a bit of both you can go that way if you like the clean stuff go look for the the uh, four color feed you know I, I don't want to take you out of your safe zone i know this is more of a family network which is why i'm not on it <laughs> i barely get through one of these episodes without at least one off-color joke and i went for at least three or four this episode i'm sure you have to cut some of them out um so yeah you pick what you like it's out there have fun with that but i will say too we talked about doing social media and uh, try as i might I, I brought four in stock trades well okay three of them weren't actually in stock but i did my part now i tried to get shaggy to do his part he has a problem with this thing called fan casting that people all over the internet are like perfectly happy to share with you and i thought that you know you look at the guys like uh, the waiting for doom podcast they always give you a little, like, little social media teaser mm -hmm. to encourage your comments so since I've already picked who I would fan cast uh, Dan Cassidy in a movie or television show and Shag definitely hasn't. Why don't we give him the space of a next podcast episode and he can either come up with something or steal one of yours and you guys can leave comments on our uh, whatever Twitter, you know, blog. When I say our, it's really there. I'm just, you know, squatting. And <laughs> tell us who you would cast specifically for Dan Cassidy. I don't want the whole movie. We got a whole bunch of podcast episodes. We're probably going to come back to this again. Let's just stick with the main guy for now. Who would you like to play this character for James Gunn's DCEU? We already lost half the audience. Snyderverse! Oh my whatever. gosh. Snyder, James Gunn, whoever, whatever thing, DC Universe comes back with their streaming. If that's the only way you want to see it, fine, whatever. Just tell us who you want to play. And I'll actually extend their request and say, please put it on our website. Again, firewaterpodcast.com slash once upon a geek. That makes it easier for us to compile all that information uh, because Twitter's a bit eph ephemeral and, and hard to really nail down. So leave it there and we'll compile all that and we'll uh, we'll tell you who's winning the race and who I pick and who pick Frank picks next episode that when we talk about Blue Devil number one. And also, while I'll be reading the social media, I will have nothing to do with gathering it. So feel free to put it on Blue Sky. Who cares, right? It's, it's going to be Shag's problem. That's your problem, not my problem. Blue Devil, Blue Sky, good combination. Get, get, let him search all of Mastodon if it comes to that. He's just that committed. No, no, he's not. <laughs> 
right. Well, thank you, Frank, for being here with me. This has been a blast. And I can't wait for us to do Blue Devil number one. It's so exciting. But folks, come back next time when we're going to present that old interview from 2009 with the writers of the Blue Devil comic, Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn. Now, when will that episode be released? Sorry, folks. You're just going to have to wait and find out. Once Upon is a pretty general phrase. Once Upon isn't very specific. So (laughs) you're just going to have to get used to living in in a precarious time. We're going to tell you. It's right there in the title. You're right. I should have realized. That's perfect. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Frank. And remember, life is short. Focus on the positive. Find Find your your joy. joy.